I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Red wave is coming down over me in the red, red sea. It's high noon for Tuesday, June 15th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also occasionally find me on Gab at I'm your moderator and the merch site is www.cancelcotour.com. So go get yourself a Flu Fighters Pandemic Segregation Tour t-shirt or maybe an OK Kami t-shirt or for that special redeemable communist in your life. Get them a redeemable communist t-shirt that lets them know, hey, you got to walk around owning this for a little while. But at the end of that, you're going to be American again. Today is the 146th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate ventriloquist dummy fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You went out and fake elected a man who was mentored by a Klansman just to make the pain stop. But you didn't realize that the war being waged against you is being carried out by yourselves. And of course, I would be remiss not to extend a warm, happy Tuesday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. Welcome to the show. Maybe you're listening to this by accident, or maybe you have finally reached the point where you're considering immigrating back to America from the communist utopia that only exists in your little child-sized brains. But I just want to say that all of us here in America would welcome your return so long as you leave all those stupid and evil commie ideas back where you found them. Because everyone in America knows that they're absolutely insane and the most destructive thing imaginable for a society. So you wouldn't want to go walking all through your house with a pair of muddy boots on. You got to take the boots off and leave them outside. Otherwise, the entire house is going to be muddy. And if you're going to come back to America, no one wants to see you stomping around everywhere in your muddy boots. 
Got it, commie. So what's going to have to happen is you're just going to have to sit there and deal with a little bit of mocking and ridicule. But it's not about you. It's about how terrible your ideas are. And we understand that you got tricked and that the whole culture made you feel like what you were doing was heroic. We've all been there. But it's not. And it's got to stop. So just stiffen your spine and we're all going to get through this together. But this one is for you, commies. I saw this quote reposted on Telegram today. I'm not trying to pretend that I was just sitting around reading C.S. Lewis. But it's a great quote. And it very aptly describes exactly what's happening here with the commie mindset and exactly what's going on in our country. So this is the quote of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most impressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end. For they do so with the approval of their own conscience. They may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. This very kindness stings with intolerable insult. To be cured against one's will and cured of states which we may not regard as disease is to be put on a level of those who have not yet reached the age of reason or those who never will. To be classified with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals. And that right there is the culture that we oppose. And that is exactly the culture that is being thrust on everyone in this country. All of the tyranny, the evil, the stripping of rights, the stripping of dignity, the censorship, the cruel and unusual punishment, and the undeniable human rights abuses American citizens have been subject to all come from this philosophy. And I think one of the people most guilty for perpetuating and propagating this idea that our goodness is going to cure the entire world if only everyone is forced to listen to us is None other than The Daily Show's Jon Stewart. And I'm about to play a clip from last night where he appeared on his friend Stephen Colbert's show. And Jon Stewart has gotten all sorts of blowback for jokingly pointing out the incredibly obvious truth that the virus came out of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. There's, there's a chance that this is created in a lab. There's an investigation. A chance? Oh, I, so, I, 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 oh my God. There's evidence I'd love to hear. There's a... All right. Now I have to stop it right there just to make one quick point. And that's that Stephen Colbert, who we imagine as smart and informed, and he certainly portrays himself that way, and his writing staff in some way would make him look that way to a certain variety of person. And by that, I mean communists. 
But he is apparently unaware of the evidence that the virus came from the Wuhan lab. Of course, he believes there is evidence that it occurred in nature where there actually is no evidence and no reason to believe it. Despite what Anthony Fauci says, that the evolution of the virus looks like it came from nature. We know, as the Daily Mail published a couple weeks ago, that this evidence, so-called, comes from the fact that they tried to retro-engineer the virus to make it look like it had evolved naturally so that people like Anthony Fauci could make that statement and sound like they're giving evidence for this one side of the theory. There is no evidence anywhere at all that the virus came from nature. And every bit of evidence, circumstantial though it may be, is on the other side. And the problem here is with the communist idea of evidence in the first place. The fact that all of this evidence, overwhelming as it is, is nonetheless circumstantial. There's not an actual absolute smoking gun scientist out there saying, yes, this definitely came from the lab. Oh, except for Li Mingyan, who's been saying it for well over a year. But yeah, just besides that, it's all circumstantial, which means that communists get to deny it. Because without evidence that meets their particular standard, all the other evidence is now just a conspiracy theory. Because if you haven't proved it to the most extreme commie, you haven't proved it at all. That's where we are right now. On one side, there's zero evidence. On the other side, there is a huge mountain of evidence, and we're expected to view both of those positions as equally likely. And Anthony Fauci actually goes out and tells us that the wrong position is more likely. And so that's what they believe. What they do is essentially set up the standard of evidence to be something that they already know and believe. Basically, if you just tell them all the stuff they already know, then they'll believe that you also know the full story. And anything that they don't already know will be rejected. So how are they supposed to reach a new conclusion if they reject all information they don't know? And the problem, of course, at this point in this communist philosophy that they all adhere to is that none of them know anything. They will literally only trust the things they already know or the things that the television says are okay for them to trust. And that's it. New information doesn't change their calculus because they're totally prepared to deny all of it just based on the fact that they don't already know it. And one might realize that that's basically the most uneducated and ignorant way to approach any issue. But they don't realize that because they think everyone else is the bad guy. Therefore, everyone else is wrong. Therefore, anything that the other side says 
is something that bad people say and should be disbelieved. There is no new evidence that's going to change Colbert's mind. And this is why I did, I brought this up in that panel podcast I did on Braver Angels a few weeks ago. I said, hey, there's no point in us actually talking about the evidence of election fraud and like trying to go through the evidence piece by piece, because if you are not already convinced of the election fraud, you're either lying or you're not looking or maybe you're too dumb to understand it. But I knew that the people I was speaking to weren't too dumb to understand it. They were just simply not looking or lying. And it's real hard to be in a conversation like that, to be put in the position where you're talking to people who literally don't know anything and you're looked at as the one whose opinion can't be trusted. And you can even press them on this and say, hey, I'm not trying to offend you here, but you yourself admit you don't know anything about this subject. Why do you think I'm lying to you and I'm wrong just because I do know things and they don't comport with your view. There's no answer there. They can always claim that you don't have the right evidence. And that's exactly what Colbert was trying to do. Thank goodness John Stewart took it another direction. Novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know, we could ask the Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. That's just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they ask the scientists, they're like, how did this, so wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan Respiratory Coronavirus Lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> and you're like, no, I, you, you the wait, name wait, of your lab, wait. if you look at the name, look at the name, can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh. I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. Okay, wait, okay. Wait, 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 Oh my God, there's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know, maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. Now, that was pretty funny. Good jokes, John. Yeah, sure. It's at least 15 months too late. And the fact that this seems controversial to people still shows you how deeply embedded the false communist narrative about this situation has become. Now, apart from all that, John Stewart, to me, now, let me first say, I was a huge, huge fan of The Daily Show and of the Colbert Report. I watched them all the time. DVR, set, record series, 
every day. I would watch both. I loved them. It was funny. Nice way to end the day before jumping in bed. Amusing little distraction. If I had some time to kill. And their humor and the facade of moral righteousness that they both carried made it seem like they were on the side of the good and pure. They were solving the country's problems through humor. That's how I used to think of it. And I know that millions and millions of other people thought the same thing. And of course, millions still do. Somehow people watch Trevor Noah, who doesn't even have the funny and charming aspects that John Stewart and Stephen Colbert had. But the problem with John Stewart is that he and his show turned this kind of whiny, sarcastic, permanently ironic take on American politics into the norm where their opinion was the only opinion that informed people might have. And part of that was perpetuated by constantly showing clips of Republican lawmakers, Republican figures saying things that the audience will read as just certainly dumb. They think all sorts of good people in the Congress are dumb because of how they were portrayed on The Daily Show. Everybody saying anything on Fox News was dumb. The people on MSNBC were heroic. And the guests that they would have on would mirror these sentiments. Meanwhile, Jon Stewart was buddies with Anthony Weiner. And yeah, he finally ended up skewering Weiner after there was no other option because the Weiner story had come out in public. But Jon Stewart was buddy-buddy with all sorts of these people. His roster of guests is basically a who's who of everyone who put the country into this position we're now in. And I don't think any single individual in culture was more toxic to the conversation than Jon Stewart, I'm sad to say. He made it impossible for a certain type of liberal to even hear what the other side is saying because he slowly and methodically conditioned his entire audience to think everything coming from that side is stupid and evil and that battling that through mocking, through ridicule, through shaming, was how we win the ultimate war against evil. And so he goes out and he makes these jokes about the Wuhan lab. And I've been talking every now and then on this podcast for quite a while about how anything mainstream is going to track with the central narrative, especially Fox News, right? So on one side, you've got CNN and MSNBC, and on the other side, you've got Fox News. But those aren't actually in opposition about anything important. They're just opposite sides of the central narrative, and they're only meant to cement the central narrative 
in the minds of the audiences. Okay. And they kind of just appeal to different demographics. That's the only difference between CNN and MSNBC on one side and Fox on the other side. All right. They're not revealing secret truths when they should be. If truth was their actual goal. And of course it isn't. And so John Stewart coming out and saying these things about the lab, that's still tracking the central narrative. It might not be the part of the central narrative that his audience wants to see, right? This is more a Fox News side of the central narrative, and he has a CNN, MSNBC audience, and certainly Colbert does. So this might hurt their little commie feelings, but it's not taking them away from things they don't already know and or are prepared to accept. They are prepared to accept that the virus came from the lab in Wuhan. They're not prepared to accept, and we're not going to hear talk from someone like John Stewart about how Anthony Fauci was responsible for funding that lab, was overseeing the research in that lab that created the virus, and that there's a good chance that it wasn't a leak, that this bioweapon was released intentionally. None of that is going to appear on CNN or MSNBC or out of the mouths of people like Jon Stewart for quite a while, if ever. Yeah, Tucker Carlson mentioned some of it. Does he go all the way? Not even close. And listen, I like Tucker and I especially like what he's been doing these last few months. I'm not saying that it's not important to push these ideas into the mainstream. All right. It's better than where we were that I'm just going to put out there. No doubt about it. Tucker Carlson is primarily responsible for that in the mainstream. But Tucker Carlson's also being allowed to say that people like Tucker Carlson are not out there challenging election fraud every night or responding to the likes of Rachel Maddow by saying, hey, you know, the audit in Arizona is actually being run by the Arizona State Senate, and it's entirely legitimate and above board. He's not out there saying that. He's not out there saying that the election was stolen. And, you know, he'll probably be at the front edge of the mainstream saying that. But that's not helpful. Okay, that stuff is helpful six months ago. And I can appreciate the development of these narratives potential plans, things happening when they should happen. I can appreciate all that. That's fine. But you're not an honest journalist who is breaking news and saying the uncomfortable truth if it takes you this long to put the uncomfortable truth out there. And again, don't get me wrong. I understand that Tucker had Lee Mignon on last fall, and that's awesome, okay? But if you're not banging on election fraud every single day, then you're not where you're supposed to be if you're a truth teller, period. But what's interesting about this John Stewart thing is that liberals are in meltdown mode for a day or so, and then they'll move on. John Stewart will still be a hero to most of them. And the little tiny taste that he gave commies of reality is still 
totally a part of the central narrative at this point. They are still making excuses for Anthony Fauci. They're not trying to take Anthony Fauci down. In fact, the, the think piece is coming out and Brian Stelter on reliable sources, stuff like that. They are still protecting Fauci 100 percent, showing the crazy Fox News coverage. Oh, Fauci's the new enemy because they just can't leave a mark on Joe Biden. Joe Biden's invincible. So Fauci's the new enemy. And Kamala Harris is the new enemy. They're just going off on those two because they can't touch Joe Biden. Joe Biden is just such a superstar on the world stage that they're not even messing with him. They got to go after the low hanging fruit. So Fauci is the new boogeyman of the conservatives. But while Stelter's saying that he's playing clips of what Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity are saying about Anthony Fauci. He's literally introducing the commies in his audience to the worst possible version of what the other side is saying. He'll take the statements that are going to sound extreme to the commies and leave out all of the supporting evidence behind those statements. So, hey, look, this is what the other side is saying, but everybody knows they're dumb. Ha 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 ha. Who how could they believe these things? I know none of us believe this crazy nonsense. And with that, he introduces the commies into the other side of the central narrative. But there's nothing beyond that. And of course, Rachel Maddow's doing the same thing. She'll allow for the fact that the Arizona audit exists and that these audits seem to be spreading around the country and that people believe that Joe Biden is obviously illegitimate and will be removed and replaced. She'll mention all those things, but only in so far as she can let her audience know that all these things are crazy. They're believed by stupid people. And if you even consider talking about any of this stuff, you're a terrorist and you support domestic terrorism. So you better not talk about it at all. And if anyone brings it up, you know what to think of them. It still makes sure everybody hews to the central narrative. And so what so many of us didn't realize about Jon Stewart during the Daily Show's heyday and those first few years of Colbert is that Jon Stewart was, and maybe unwittingly, following along with Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, specifically rule number five. Ridicule is man's most potent weapon. He made it impossible for people to have respectful disagreements. And that tore away at our ability to have proper adult conversations. Because he armed everyone with all of these jokes and this attitude that they could repeat at will to shut down anything from the opposite side so that everyone who would even bring up a counterpoint could be instantly made fun of and dismissed. This is John Stewart's doing. And again, wittingly or unwittingly, that's fine. He's a comedian. He has a point of view. His point of view happens to go perfectly with, with what the rest of the commies believe, or at least it certainly did 
throughout his time on The Daily Show. But the result is the result. And, you know, almost every episode I mention mocking and ridicule about the ideas that the commies have. And I've said before that you have to fight fire with fire when it comes to that. This has been one of their weapons for so long. They go around with this air of invincibility because even though they don't know anything, they know how to make fun of the people saying the bad thing. And that's all they need to feel like they have an advantage in these conversations. They not only feel like everything they already believe is right, they feel like everything on the other side is not only wrong, but laughably stupid. So, I mean, I guess we can be sort of happy that Jon Stewart totally pwned the libs and we can relish all of the liberal tears, but I'm not impressed. Jon Stewart is how we got here. And part of me does feel bad saying this because Jon Stewart seems like a nice guy who wants to do the right thing. At the same time, how are you going to unwind what he's already done? I, I genuinely don't think there are too many people in popular culture who have been more destructive to the critical conversations we should be having in this country. And now, speaking of the distortions within the central narrative as these people present the other side of the truth, let's listen to this clip from this Bill Hemmer interview. I posted it today in the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator. So if you want to watch the whole thing, go ahead. But this is the clip that I want to talk about. And the guy that Hemmer is interviewing is Dr. Mark Siegel, who appears on Fox pretty much all the time. This is a really another fine point here as we look back on this, Doc. Asymptomatic spread. I, I, I don't believe that we really understood that until mid-March. Because here in New York, we were living our lives. And, and Madison Square Garden had, I think, 10 different events over a span of seven to nine days. And the Wall Street Journal did a great analysis of the hundreds of thousands of people that would cycle through Madison Square Garden for a hockey game or an NBA game or a college basketball game. And the possibility remains that a lot of these people could have been exposed to it and that they go out in the community and over the next 10 to 14 days, they're spreading this. Is, is that how we now understand sort of the mistake or the fault and not understanding COVID in the very beginning like that? Completely right, Bill. Very well described. Listen, Redfield knew before almost anyone else, he had the high-level clearance, and he told me he wishes he had done a Manhattan project of testing, not just the vaccine, once he knew that the asymptomatic spread was so prominent. Okay. Now, what we have right there are two stupid people, or perhaps they're liars, or perhaps both. But asymptomatic spread is not and has never been a primary source of viral spread. Not even a little bit, not anywhere, not ever. June 7th last year, Maria Van Kerkhove, a doctor with the WHO, 
came out and said that asymptomatic spread is extremely rare and they don't actually have proof of it happening anywhere. She said that last June. She had to retract the statement the next day. But still, she was relying on the data. The data was real. The data has not been disputed. And there hasn't been other data disputing that. We are just all told that we have to believe in asymptomatic spread. And that's how it happened. But that's not even the main point that I'm trying to make here. The main point is that Bill Hemmer just tried to lay out a scenario on how asymptomatic spread would have occurred in New York and why it would have been so obvious to everyone that that's how New York got hit so hard. And he talks about all these events in Madison Square Garden. And whew, thank goodness the Flu Fighters show is going to be all vaccinated people because we know that the vaccinated people can't get sick. Oh, wait, the vaccinated people on the cruise tested positive for COVID? Whoops. But he's saying to the audience, yeah, just picture it. Remember how everyone was going to concerts and sporting events those last few weeks before lockdowns? Whoa, that's so scary. Madison Square Garden just had all those events. And yeah, there's no proof anywhere whatsoever of anyone even hinting that there might have been super spreader events at sports arenas. But we're going to make everyone think about 20,000, 30,000 people packed into an arena and then going out and spreading their COVID everywhere. Of course, those aren't the people that got COVID. And those aren't the people that spread COVID. And they certainly aren't the people that died of COVID. We know why COVID was so bad in New York. Well, partly because of ridiculous tests that overestimated the cases by 10 times, 20 times, 30 times. But also because Andrew Cuomo put people with COVID into nursing homes. But here's the thing. Every place in the entire country was having concerts and sporting events and people were going to bars and movie theaters and restaurants and church. So how come if that's the source of the problem, Bill Hemmer, you amazing genius? How come all the other places in the country that had those events of that size didn't have the same outcome. Reel me that, commie. They don't have sold-out basketball games in Dallas or Seattle or San Francisco? The Oklahoma City Thunder? They don't exist. The Chicago Bulls were playing. The Chicago Blackhawks were playing. Hockey, basketball, every night in those arenas. And when they don't have those things, they have concerts or rodeos or all the other things that those arenas have. Yet none of them spread COVID except for Madison Square Garden. And we got to bring that up because everybody knows that New York City is so big and New York City had such bad COVID. So what could be the explanation? Gosh, they had too many shows at Madison Square Garden. Hey, Bill Hemmer. 
You're a moron. And Dr. Mark Siegel going along and agreeing with that? Yeah, you know, Dr. Redfield just wished that they had focused more on this idea of asymptomatic spread before the lockdowns. If only we had known. Morons. Morons. These people are either only stupid or lying. This isn't a brilliant theory. This doesn't explain anything. It only makes the point that they want to make, which is that we should all still be scared of the virus and asymptomatic spread, even though there's no proof anywhere in the world that it exists. And there's been no comeback of COVID from reopening all of these places around the country. Where's Florida's massive spike? They reopened on September 25th of last year. That's nine full months ago, almost. Texas has been fully open with no mask mandates or anything else for three months. All sorts of other states didn't even bother closing down. Where is the spread? In terms of arenas, even the small states that have no professional sports whatsoever still have massive crowds for college sports. Their arenas might not be as big as Madison Square Garden, but you can still put 5,000 people, 10,000, 15,000 people in a lot of college arenas. Where's all the spread there? Why didn't Boise, Idaho get hit? Huh? So what you have is a central narrative where the people defending the central narrative are fine with abandoning little pieces of the central narrative and retreating just enough so that they can defend the parts that they still believe they need. And in this interview, uh, Robert Redfield being interviewed by Mark Siegel, they showed clips of it. But Redfield was talking about how, yeah, this has always been his thing. He always knew about the Wuhan lab. Always suspected it, but that wasn't his role in the White House task force. And if you'll remember, I think it was early last week, but maybe it was late the week before. I was talking about the statements that Admiral Brett Giroir made about he was primarily concerned with the logistics and his job in the task force. So now we have two people in this task force who just ignored a critically important piece of information and didn't bother relaying that to the public. They just focused on what they were doing and let Anthony Fauci lie to everyone. Gosh, how noble. Thank you so much for calling it out now. You guys are heroes. And the real racket here is that they'll always allow these sorts of people to say these sorts of things. They don't venture too far away from the central narrative. And these things almost never come out of the mouth of someone who the other side will listen to. John Stewart kind of fits that bill, which is why people are going so crazy about it. But commies have no problem disregarding Brett Jawah or Robert Redfield because those aren't the people that were out front at the beginning. 
all their loyalty is to Anthony Fauci. And so even if all of the experts that we're all supposed to listen to are relaying the science, which we're all supposed to trust, it won't matter at all to them until it's one of their people. They'll say, yeah, but, you know, it's totally unknown. They don't have any evidence either. And again, how incredible is it that all these commies support this one single narrative and they think all the evidence is on their side when the only piece of evidence they actually have is Anthony Fauci says so and the people I like on TV tell me to listen to Anthony Fauci. That is their entire case. Now, let's check in with a few superstar communists and see how low they're prepared to sink. And let's go ahead with Eric Swalwell, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party due to the fact that he was sleeping with an actual Chinese spy. Though Nancy Pelosi has still left him on the Intelligence Committee. I want to uh, just read from you uh, something that I read from, from the committee chair, uh, Jerry Nadler, uh, on the Judiciary Committee. It's also possible that these cases are merely our first glimpse into a coordinated effort by the Trump administration to target President Trump's political opposition. If so, we must learn the full extent of the gross abuse of power, root out the individuals responsible, and hold those individuals accountable for their actions. I want to try and connect that to what we believe was happening, because the, the records we understand were seized were seized before uh, um, uh, the Democrats were in power in the House of Representatives before uh, they, Adam Schiff was chairing the Intel Committee. What do you think was going on in 2017 that would have caused uh, records like yours to be sought out? We were speaking out against a president who was pretty close to Russia. And, and Ali, I'd been on the committee for years where there were classified leaks, and it was information that I had heard about on the committee, and I was never investigated or targeted. So what changed, and, and why was no one else on the committee investigated for these alleged leaks other than the two most vocal critics of the president? I, so I, I think there's a lot of answers that we need about why we were targeted. Now... Eric Swalwell is one of the stupidest people in American public life. There is probably no one who has spent more time on television in the last five or six years being as continually ridiculously stupid as Eric Swalwell. I mean, that guy has rocks in his skull. Seriously, the only way someone like that rises to national prominence is through corruption and cheating and fraud. Okay. Literally fully compromised by a Chinese spy that he used to date. And so he says that leaks like that from the intelligence committee were happening for a while and no one ever did anything about it. No one ever pursued them. No one ever went after anyone until Trump went after Swalwell and Schiff. And Swalwell's confused about that. Like, why did they only target us? Why weren't they targeting everyone else on the intelligence committee? Hey, Eric, 
It's because you guys are the ones leaking. All right. What do you even mean? That's like being chased out of a store for shoplifting and then saying, you know, there were like a hundred people in that store. I don't know why they chased me out. Well, hey, man, it's because you're the one with the merchandise hidden under your shirt. That's why they chased you and not the other customers who are in there paying for their goods. Like, how dumb and how screwed does Eric Swalwell have to be to think that what he just said would make him sound like the victim? Like, this stuff only works on MSNBC, if even there. But this is one of the dumbest explanations I could ever imagine. What is he saying? But let's turn to the corrupt Soros Secretary of State of Michigan, Jocelyn Benson, with communist Rachel Maddow mini-me, Chris Hayes. Um thought often have the thought like on election day you go there and there's poll workers you think well i'm glad they're here and 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 this entire operation depends on them and then multiply that by hundreds and thousands right across the country and reading that ap piece um you 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 begin to worry that this assault that was launched the sort of vitriol and the harassment and these random workers who get caught on some viral video that you know blows up in a QAnon forum that has real tangible effects on our ability actually to administer free and fair elections. Yeah, and, and I think it's important to, to realize, one, that we all have a role to play in protecting democracy. Indeed, democracy prevailed in 2020, and I agree with what you were talking about earlier, that it's just the beginning of a really unprecedented assault on, on our democracy, but we can continue to have our democracy prevail if good people in all sorts of positions do the right thing on both sides of the aisle. And that's what happened in 2020. And we need more good people to step up and serve as poll workers, election administrators on the front lines protecting democracy. And then we can't forget that throughout history, we also know that those who have stood on the front lines of democracy, they have faced these threats. I have a a rose behind me uh, that uh, was on John Lewis's casket when he Mm. was carried over at his fridge one last time in Selma. Uh, last July. And it always reminds me of the real sacrifices that have been made by those who've come before us to serve on the front lines, protecting everyone's right to vote. That's a reality of our country's history, and it continues to be a reality today. Now, if you're like me, you were counting along and trying to find out how many times she threw the word democracy into her answer. It was 47,252. That's how much Jocelyn Benson cares about protecting democracy. And you see, protecting democracy means whatever they want it to mean. We talked about this yesterday. The word democratic, the word democracy. That's lost all meaning except doing what this class of elites says is the thing we must do. And why are they saying that? Oh, because they're all run by George Soros. But that's it. They have to protect democracy by putting in more election workers, more poll workers, more election judges, more people in all the roles. 
that have enough power to make sure audits can never, ever happen again. And that's how you protect democracy. Everybody can have confidence in democracy as long as everyone says that we should have confidence in democracy. The election was perfect because everyone says it was perfect. That's it. And if you don't agree with that, then you are threatening democracy and therefore you're a domestic terrorist and therefore we can take away your rights. Now, are you ready for the pure unbridled panic? I am. Uh, the Republicans in your state, uh, in the state legislature, particularly, obviously, have had a very contentious relationship with the uh, state's Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, with you. You have been the target of a lot of their vitriol um, it, it rhetorically. Uh, there, There's sort of there's both a way in which your state has served as a kind of laboratory. I think these kind of capital, you know, protests of the Capitol, armed protests of the Capitol's intimidation sort of started, we saw during COVID last year in Michigan. But also, I wonder if you are worried or concerned about Michigan Republicans attempting to kind of go the route we've seen the folks in, say, Arizona go or other states. Oh, absolutely. It's all connected. I think what we're seeing in Arizona is just the beginning. And uh, until, again, there's real accountability at the ballot box for Republican leaders who have continue to spread these lies. We're going to see this these efforts to con continue to undermine people's faith in the process, to try to spread audits or fake audits like this to other states, uh, and to also change the rules of the game to make it harder for people to vote and strip election officials of their authority and ability to protect the integrity of elections. And the other thing that's really pernicious about all of this is they're claiming that it's in furtherance of protecting the security of the elections, protecting the integrity of the vote. And people need to know that that's really not what is, is happening behind the scenes. These individuals who are pushing for more fake audits around the country are really just trying to undermine democracy and threaten the security of our elections. And it's going to take all of us standing up, speaking the truth, uh, and pushing back and holding everyone accountable who's spreading these lies if our democracy is going to make it through this moment. Got that? It's everyone's responsibility to do what Jocelyn Benson and Chris Hayes and Rachel Maddow and Eric Swalwell and all of these other idiots say everyone has to stand up. And if you don't do it, well, you're a domestic terrorist, obviously, who wants our democracy to be destroyed. This is actually what these commies think. And do you like how she conflated the restrictions on quote unquote voting, which are really just restrictions on the ability for Democrats to cheat. She conflated that with stripping authority away from election officials. Stripping authority away from election officials should be exactly what everyone wants. You don't need a massive web of election officials and infrastructure for people to put down their choices on a piece of paper and then have other people count the pieces of paper. That's where we used to be with all this. The only reason any of this is a problem is because all of these morons put the machines in place in the first place. And they're using the machines to cheat. There is no other justification for using Dominion machines or any of the other companies' machines. We don't need them. They create just 
another place for everything to go wrong, which is, again, why they're there. Look at H.R. 1. Every element of H.R. 1 makes elections less secure. It grants more authority to centralized power, and it takes the power further and further away from the people. That's not protecting democracy. That is destroying democracy. If you want democracy, the most important thing has to be the sanctity of the vote, because that's how people express what they want. There is no argument to be made anywhere that shifting power further away from the people is actually good for democracy. That's crazy. It's just bizarro world. That's how truly dishonest these people are. And imagine being a, an adult with a full-size brain and going out on television and saying things like this. Saying things that you know you can't back up if challenged at all. That's pure desperation. And, you know, I was just reading the Politico piece on Mike Lindell this morning. They have this thing that the long and short of it is, yeah, Lindell's a pretty nice guy, but he's batshit crazy. They actually say batshit crazy in there at one point. They're quoting someone else, but nonetheless, it's in there. But they mention in that Lindell piece that Matthew DiPerno's lawsuit was thrown out in Michigan. Well, DiPerno just filed a motion on Friday to restart that case because it was improperly decided. And if you read his motion, you should. You can see how much evidence he actually has and how much he has the law on his side. So good luck, Politico, thinking that that is going to work. The, oh, 60 cases were heard and they were dismissed. Everybody knows it's just the big lie. Okay, Kami, good luck. Go with that. See how far that takes you. DiPerno's case isn't only going after election fraud. It is aimed directly at Jocelyn Benson. And he has all the evidence he needs. And she knows it. That's the thing about these people saying things on television that I just can't hammer on enough. These people aren't confused about what's going on. Okay. They're not out there putting out their perspective which just so happens to disagree with the other perspective. They're out there knowing that the other perspective is 100% correct and they're caught dead to rights and now they need to go out on television and defend themselves at all costs. I joked about this on Telegram. Maybe it was Friday or Saturday. It was after I finished recording last week. But I said that we're basically at the point where all CNN and MSNBC do like they're, they're bookers who book the guests. Their only responsibility is finding real life criminals and then acting as public defendants for those criminals. Look at the people they have on. Katie Hobbs, Jocelyn Benson, Brad Raffensperger, Eric Swalwell, Adam Schiff, Andrew McCabe. Andrew McCabe is a regular CNN contributor. 
MSNBC has John Brennan on television all the time. John Brennan is at the very top of the pyramid of people who are going to go down the hardest for all of this. And he's just out there giving his defense all the time. And if you think of it that way while you watch it, it's so easy to see what's happening. It's so easy to detect the panic in their eyes. Like anybody who is talking to commies and trying to convince commies these days, have them watch like a Tucker Carlson open opening monologue and then watch a Rachel Maddow opening monologue or vice versa. Do it the opposite direction. Sit with them while you do it if you want. And then ask them one simple question. Doesn't matter about any of the evidence they cited. Doesn't matter what the narrative was. Doesn't matter any of it. Just be like, hey, when you look at their faces and you listen to their voices, which one of them seems panicked? There's only one answer to that question. Tucker Carlson is out there speaking confidently and having fun and making jokes. Rachel Maddow is out there completely freaking out and trying to make it seem like the things she's saying are actually funny. Like, hey, guys, uh, don't worry. All of this is a big joke. Look, look at the funny things I'm saying about cyber ninjas. Look at how I say cyber ninjas. You can tell how funny it is just by how I say it. Okay, Kami. But let's talk about Brad Jordy Raffensperger. I posted this last night and I was surprised and honored by the fact that somehow Lynn Wood saw it and reposted it. So can't be mad at that. I love Lynn Wood. Lynn Wood is a patriot. Lynn Wood is a truth teller. And Lynn Wood is going to make all his detractors look very, very stupid and very, very evil. And there are so few things that I love more than that because that guy has been attacked more than pretty much anyone outside of Donald Trump and maybe Mike Lindell. And he has nonetheless remained true and patriotic. And he's going to come out on the right side of this and he's going to have his day to be smiling while all of these people are twisting in the wind. And so yesterday in the afternoon or evening, Georgia's secretary of state, who we always have to identify as a Republican, just like CNN and MSNBC do, because that's how the commies can know that everyone really is on their side. Even Republicans agree with us. This is what Raffensperger tweeted out yesterday. Restoring confidence in our elections is going to be impossible as long as Fulton County's elections leadership continues to fail the voters of Fulton County and the voters of Georgia. They need new leadership to step up and take charge. New revelations that Fulton County is unable to produce all ballot drop box transfer documents will be investigated thoroughly, as we have with other counties that failed to follow Georgia rules and regulations regarding drop boxes. This cannot continue. Now, you'll remember I read a good chunk of that Georgia star piece yesterday on the podcast. And you might remember that Brad Raffensperger and his whole team had actually investigated 
none, virtually, virtually none of the issues related to ballot drop boxes or anything else. They did not do their job. And now, seven months later, Brad Jordy Raffensperger is trying to say that it's someone else's fault, even though he gave the entire election his total and complete stamp of approval. Now, according to the consent decree, Brad Jordy Raffensperger signed with human election fraud machine Stacey Abrams, they actually had to have all the documentation from the ballot drop boxes. So when someone goes and picks up the ballots from the drop box, that has to be recorded. And when they take the ballots to the elections officials and drop them off, that has to be recorded too with the person delivering the ballots signing for it and the person receiving the ballots signing for it. And it just so happens that in Georgia, they're missing that kind of documentation for an estimated 333,000 ballots. That has always been the case. There was no time where that documentation existed, the, the documentation hasn't been lost or overlooked. It wasn't misplaced due to COVID, as the Fulton County official told the Georgia Star News. It never existed. And people like Brad Jordy Raffensperger and that little tool, Gabriel Sterling, and the lieutenant governor of Georgia, and Governor Brian Kemp and all of the corrupt politicians who refuse to object to the overwhelming evidence of election fraud. None of them ever had that documentation either. Are we meant to believe they were unaware that that documentation didn't exist? No, of course they were aware of it. We were aware of the problems that could occur with these drop boxes. People were talking about these drop boxes for weeks, if not months before the election, because this exact thing could and would occur. In fact, that's why the drop boxes were put there in the first place, because they knew that even with universal mail-in balloting, that alone could not get them over the hump. So they need ballot drop boxes so that they can inject all sorts of illegal ballots into the system. And there is no chain of custody on any of them. And that problem is replicated throughout the country. Brad knew that he did nothing about it. And now as the heat starts to get turned up in Georgia, he's trying to sink the Fulton County elections officials. And by the way, let's not just gloss over what Brad's remedy to the situation is. He's going to solve the problem by putting new elections officials in Fulton County. Well, that'll clean it up. No worries about the drop boxes. And hey, forget about those 333,000 ballots with no chain of custody. 
That's no issue. And we certainly don't need a full on forensic audit to determine exactly how deep these problems run. We just need to replace those elections officials with other elections officials. And hey, if human election fraud machine Stacey Abrams is the one who chooses those new Fulton County officials, no big deal. One of those Fulton County elections officials came out and said last fall that 94% of the ballots in Fulton County had been adjudicated, which basically means the machines couldn't read the ballots. So some election worker threw all those ballots into the machine and then made people's presidential choice for them. Well, assuming that people cast the ballots in the first place, which they almost definitely did not. But all of those ballots were adjudicated and they could select batches of 50 in these machines and say, yep, Joe Biden winner. And all of a sudden you got all these thousands upon thousands of Joe Biden votes, man, where did those come from? Thank goodness we have Brad Jordy Raffensperger on the case. And I'm going to resist the urge to end the podcast right there because without any comment, I'm just going to play some sound from the enfeebled usurper of the free world, Joe Biden. And uh, I've said before, and I apologize for you. Oh, I didn't first tell you you were taking on this security advisor. I'm even not a lot of people here. I apologize. I'm going to get in trouble. But anyway, we'll get back to that. But um, uh, we, um, uh, you know, there's a lot that uh, that is it, 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 it's happening. I used to. Always 81 million votes. 81 million votes. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. 
In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com where you can donate or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel-couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'mYourModerator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon, down on the range. It's hell!